The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that holds a players-only meeting three days a week. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we're going to close the door so our coach can't come in. Don't you dare even think about asking us what we're talking about in this Players Only podcast. This is the podcast that's going to turn this season around. There's no other solution. It's a new day. I mean, when you think about it, every day is a new day. Um, technically, yeah, but, today but no, is a but in new, this new context, day. when things are going wrong, that's when you need to publicly acknowledge that it's a new day because the day before sucked. And that has mostly been the case for the Toronto Blue Jays lately. We are going to start off by talking about them as they are two and eight in their last uh, 10 new days, uh, which is worse than every team not named. The A's. There you go. There's a good little rhyme to start you off on this Friday morning. Of course, later on, uh, also beyond the Blue Jays, we want to look at the AL East uh, as a whole. We're going to do a little Tales from the Yard. Jake and I were both at the ballpark for multiple days this week, so we're going to tell you about some interesting things we saw there. And of course, it's Friday, so we'll give you some good, some bad, and some ugly before looking ahead to the weekend, Jake Mintz. But as we alluded to, we must begin with the Blue Jays of Toronto. And uh, things aren't looking so hot. They're still above 500, which is things many other teams who are also been disappointed cannot say. <laughs> but when you are in the AL East, above 500 is simply not good enough. So where would you like to begin with Toronto? Let's head north of the Bautista Pedroia line. That's the a border between the U.S. and Canada. It's like the Mason-Dixon line, but for baseball in the AL East. Perfect. And let's just review what's been going on. With the Blue Jays. It feels like once a week we come on this podcast and we say, here's the team that's been bad. Here's the team where the fans have been complaining on Twitter and tweeting like the meme of like James Franco putting the noose around his neck. Right. The team where they're calling for the manager to be canned on the Internet. And this week it's the Blue Jays. Jordan, why is that the case? Besides the fact that they are two and eight in their last ten. Sure. Well, this one's a little bit harder to square, I would say, because some of these other teams that we've talked about, and we're going to touch on the Padres a little bit later, when you pull up their page on Baseball Reference, you're like, oh, well, yeah, like most of these guys have been terrible. Even the guys that we expect to be good, they have been terrible. And there's a little bit of that with Toronto, certainly some notable ones on the pitching side we can get to. At the same time, like, we know how hot Matt Chapman was, and he's cooled off, but he's still been pretty good. But like him and Vlad and Bo have been doing it. Kevin Kiermeyer is having the best year of his career. He's just been as good of a hitter as we've ever seen, and that sort of mitigated some of the slow starts from the other outfielders in Varsho and Springer. But again, their defense in the outfield has been great. Brandon Belt has been playing pretty well. So when you say what's been going wrong, well, the catching has not lived up to, you know, it was like, oh, look at all this depth of the Blue Jays catching have and they decide to make the trade of Gabriel Moreno because they have Danny Jansen and Kirk Jansen and Kirk have not really stood out but they've been okay they've been average and honestly for catching production league average is still fine so you can't point to that and say like wow that is a disaster when you start looking at the pitching oh are you are you are you you disagreeing with that no I'm just saying and that's why it's so interesting that the vibes are so off because the pitching hasn't been abysmal like Gossman and Bassett have been Pretty good. And Jose Barrios is crawling his way back towards being Jose Barrios. Manoa and Kikuchi have both been pretty bad. But really like, bad. <laughs> I mean, really, Manoa, really bad. Manoa has the worst fifth in the league. Like, he ranks last in basically every possible. We talked about him last week on uh, good and bad and ugly uh, in the bad category. So, but to your point, you're not seeing any like what it would look to be like season sinking performances. But again, they're 26 and 25. It's not like they're 10 games under 500. Right. And Manoa is the biggest 
season sinking performance because he was supposed to be the ace last year. He was the ace started game one of a playoff series, getting a year older, a year smarter. And he just looks like a shell of his former self. But despite all those things that have been going well to adequate, the vibes in Toronto are so off. They are so off. And a lot of that has to do with this recent stretch they've been on where they played the Yankees, the Orioles and the Rays the three other best AL East teams in our opinion, and they won two games. They beat the Yankees once. They beat the Rays 20 to 1 the other day, which is hilarious. <laughs> and they got yeah. swept by the Orioles. And two of these series were at home, right? Mm-hmm. And so because fans, like what fans and even in teams too, like those games mean a lot more mm-hmm. than playing the Royals, mm-hmm. right? Or playing the Dodgers even. When you're playing against the teams that are above you in the standings, each loss feels like two losses because you're like dropping mm-hmm. that much in the, in the standings behind the teams in front of you. And so anyway, this all culminated in a hilarious scene yesterday involving Matt Chapman, who seems to have taken on the role of like de facto team captain in Toronto and manager John Schneider. Jordan, would you like to pull out your easel and your quill and paint me a picture? Sure. Yeah. So uh, as is often the case when teams are struggling, as we uh, joked about in the intro, what is the the button you can press, right? Because there's no button you're going to immediately press after a loss and is going to fix all of Alec Manoa's woes in one second or fix all of these on the field. But there's one thing that you can do and sort of spin it or change the urgency. And that is when you slam the players only meeting button. Mm, we, we see this. This is not a baseball specific thing. This is something you definitely hear about in basketball. Also, before we get to the, it, particularly in the context of the Blue Jays, let's talk about players only meetings. Because what do you, first of all, what do you picture? And what do you think? Why is that an option? What, what do you, as someone who is, <laughs> has been on a team, I don't know how common this is at the college level. I feel like I've never heard of this at the college level, but I could be wrong. The, but I'd be the curious reason, to... The yeah. reason you have not heard of this at the college level is because one, there's not as much media, and two, <laughs> it happens like every day. So I was part of many players-only meetings, mm-hmm. full-team players-only meetings in college. The notable one that stands out to me is my sophomore year where we didn't particularly love the coach and we, we were like... Had a meeting. We're like, we're winning for us, and we're not winning for him, and we're that's gonna how this is gonna go now, right? Right. And I don't think this is necessarily that, but the idea of a players only meeting is that it allows the guys on the team to speak freely without fear of reper- repercussion, right? It's almost like a an internal review of yeah. yes, we might have some issues with how the coaches have handled things. Yes, we might have ha- we might have some issues with how other players in the team are handling things, right? And you want to be able to voice that without the coach coming and saying something. Now, here's the thing about the players-only meeting. I think there are three ways it can go. One is it can legitimately clear the air, and it can be a positive, right? If you air a grievance or you talk about something that's out in the open in any type of relationship or interaction, that has a potential positive outcome, right? Mm -hmm. I am skeptical that that is often the case when it comes to professional athletes who are not the best sharers in the world. The second thing is that it can make things a lot worse, because people can be insulted if it is a more open conversation. And the third thing is what I think it is like 75% of the time is it's eyewash, is that it is just something to do when you feel helpless. When you are playing poorly on a team and you're losing every day and things are bad, you there's no button you can press. Like in the NFL, you can change your quarterback, right? Like there are well, other in options. Baseball, like you got to play again tomorrow which is both the beauty and the the horror of it when you're in a bad stretch. I've talked about this before. Like players always say the best part about ball after you lose, you get to go out there again tomorrow. And as someone who's had depression, like that's the worst part. It's like, fuck, you're telling me I got to do this again. It can help. And that's, I think about that all the time in baseball is just like when you have these crushing losses and you're like, man, they're really about to go out there and try this again tomorrow. Like, do you think the Oakland athletics are waking up this morning after getting mopped by the Mariners and are like, well, thank God we get to do this again today. Like, right. no. Well, that's, yeah. But the, the other thing about before we get back to the specific Blue Jays case, I'm interested in the players only meeting because 
Another thing that you see often with fan reactions to bad starts for disappointing teams, Padres is a prime example, which we can get to, is the easy example is blame the coaches, blame the managers, because those aren't our favorite people. I don't want to get mad at the guy who I have a jersey of, because like that's who is generally giving the joy. So I'd rather just look at the anonymous hitting coach that I've never heard of, and I don't trust his credentials, and say, that guy's not making my team better. But in the players-only meeting, what you are seeing is an acknowledgement that it's like, no, 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 the players are the ones that are playing the game. And sure, some hitting coaches are helping and hurting more than others, and pitching coaches are helping more than others, hurting more than others, managers, same thing. But at the end of the day, it's the players' performance that dictates the wins and losses on the field. And the players-only meeting would seem to indicate that the players are acknowledging, we need to figure this out because we are the players. To me, it is an acknowledgement that something is wrong there besides simple underperformance. Because a players-only meeting, you don't go to a players-only meeting. Like, Matt Chapman's not standing up there and going, hit better, you bozos. Like, he is saying things like, we need to be more accountable. That's a word that was probably (laughs) used, right? Mm. Focus, Mm. taking things seriously. Or it's the opposite, like, hey, John Schneider has been kind of a hardo getting rid of the home run jacket. relax. We need to play more loose. Like, don't care about that. Like, let's just go out here and play ball. Whatever. It's one of those two things. And so what that tells me is that they're, they are in need of a vibe switch, right? Now, the last thing I want to talk about with the Blue Jays example specifically is the video involving Matt Chapman. So they do the players-only meeting. The media finds out about it, one, because the doors are closed at a weird time. And two, because John Schneider in his post-game presser where he says, we feel like we've been punched in the face, acknowledges that there was a players-only meeting. Then they ask Matt Chapman what was said in the players-only meeting. And he says, I'm not even sure how you guys know about that. And so this is an obvious miscommunication of like, is a players-only meeting supposed to be secret? Was John Schneider not supposed to tell the media they were doing this? Like the media is going to find out anyway the next day because someone's going to say something, right? Like... It was just a very bizarre example. Like Matt Chapman's like, how do you know? It's like, well, we're the media. Like, this is what we do. Yeah. And I don't think it would be impossible to hold the players only meeting without the media finding out. But to your point, (laughs) if the manager is going to go to the podium and be like, yeah, so they're doing something in there. I'm not sure. I assume it's just the players. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that's another one where it's like, again, do we want to read in too much with the John Schneider stuff? I know he's certainly made some questionable decisions. He had kind of an embarrassing moment uh, recently where uh, he forgot the rule that you can't go to the mound multiple times in one inning without taking the pitcher out. And so he says, so, and this happened with Manoa where he goes and says, okay, I'm not like the umps was like, Hey dude, you got to take him out. This is the second time you've come to him in the inning. And then the more embarrassing part was that after the game, they were like, okay, did you, did you know about that? And he was like, well, like that, that was probably about the time to take him out anyway, except that it wasn't because you didn't want to take him out. <laughs> so it's like, you can't have it both ways there, dude. So I don't know. I mean, it's so hard with these new managers and I, you know, you don't want to judge too much, but it's it, when it all coincides with the skid like this against the best teams, the teams that you're going to have to beat at some point, if you're going to have any hope to make in the postseason, Yeah. It doesn't look great. doesn't look great. Last thing about the blue Jays is I think fans are frustrated because of how last season ended and what last season was supposed to mean for this season, right? Heading into this year, when we were previewing the season, it was like the Blue Jays are the best team in the division. It is the the open, open window of this young, exhilarating, like really lovable core turning into a juggernaut contender, right? Winning 100 games. And this is not that. There are legitimate flaws in this roster where they will not win 100 games. I don't think that that's possible now, right? Could they win the division still? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of time left. But this is not what fans were hoping for after last season ended. And when you endure the years of a rebuild or rejuvenation or a reset or whatever the heck you want to say, like you are expecting what the Astros did. And maybe that's you know an unrealistic thing to hope for, but that's certainly why, Fran- why fans in Toronto are – really um, kind of frustrated with what's going on. Sure. No, I agree with that. But I think that's a good uh, way to kind of pivot forward towards looking at the division as a whole. And 
you know, you mentioned, okay, we thought they were the best team in the division. I, I certainly felt that way after all, with all the Yankees injuries to start and early on the season, just looking at the roster, like I thought it was pretty close, but I'm curious to kind of look now at where we are now with, with all of these teams. And, you know, the easy ways is again, looking back at, okay, well, what were the, you know, we can look at the Fangraphs playoff odds to start the season, right? And to start the season in terms of winning the division, the Yankees were first, I'm looking at opening day. 43%. Blue Jays were second, 29%. Rays, 20%. Red Sox, seven. Orioles were at 1%. What it do, baby. That has gone up uh, considerably since then. Where are they at today? Where are they at today? Well, the Tampa Bay Rays, who still have the best record in baseball, are now up to 72% chance to win the division. I know you think that that is ridiculous. I know they're only three games up in the Orioles, and I know a lot of that is baked in the fact that the the Fangraphs model still doesn't totally believe in Baltimore because of the roster that it is projecting. But also, I don't think that that is completely ridiculous. I am I am a full believer in the Rays. I think that that is is, is reasonable. The next highest number is still the Yankees, down at fifteen. Then the Orioles have passed Toronto. They are now in the second with six percent chance to win the division. Blue Jays down at 4%. If you expand it to just the playoffs, that also becomes interesting because this is where the Blue Jays have really fallen off. As recently as April 29th, they were at 88%. They are now down to 44%, which is below Baltimore, below New York, and of course, below Tampa. Uh, Boston has made some progress, but they are still down a 20% chance to make the postseason. So where do you want to kind of spin this forward looking at the division as a whole? This division is a monster. They're like the SEC football of baseball every week it's a battle it's a war every al east game means more you part of the reason that you can see that is how angry these managers are getting with one another all the time (laughs) right whenever two al east teams play like there's so much chirping and that's because expectation is higher the tensions are higher the fans understand that it means more the players know that each of these games mean more and that's because this division is so good Like the Red Sox, even though they're kind of an underwhelming wet fart right now and all season long, like they would probably win the the AL Central. They would have a real good shot. They would have a real good shot. They are they are not a bad team. No, they're not a bad team. Right. And that's the last place team in this division, probably unless the Blue Jays continue to fall apart. And it's been really impressive to watch and talking to players in the AL East about these games. They're super amped about this type of thing. And it kind of makes me bummed out about the balanced schedule, which is kind of an odd take for someone who roots for an AL East team. Like the Orioles (laughs) have a better chance to make the postseason this year because they're going to play the division less often, right? However, I want more of these appointment viewing series. Like I want to see Boston against Toronto. I want to see the Yankees against Tampa. I want to see the Orioles against the Yankees. Like I want those as often as possible because those are like these rivalry series that have such heft to them. And we have less of them now, so it's more fair. But I really don't give a shit about fairness. I'm watching this for the entertainment value. So I'm a little bummed out that the schedule is more balanced than it used to be just in regards to the like how much fun the AL East is going to be to follow. Yeah, I mean, I would like, say... Like the, Orioles, I, the Orioles play the Yankees July 4th, I think, and then they're done for the year right. against one another. That's so weird. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, in some ways, you could look at it as makes you appreciate those matchups all the more. Um, but I, I see what you're saying, right? Normally, you can almost always count on having one of those series happening at almost all times. And now that is not necessarily the case. At the same time, I mean, I I think still at the end of the day, you you are probably going to be more glad to be facing some worse teams by the end of it, especially as the Orioles do try and stay in, if not for the division, but I don't know, the top wildcard spot. I mean, we got a long way to go, but I think by the end of the season, you'll be like, oh, a couple more games against the Tigers and the, you know, the Reds. Oh, what a real shame this is. I would like to go through the division, Jordan, and do a one word response AL East vibe check. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready? I'm the ready. Tampa, the Tampa Bay Sunrays. Vibe check. Fantastic. Chillin'. Tyler Glassnow, one word. Coming back on Saturday. <laughs> Tyler Glassnow. Uh, Jordan, can we talk a little bit about the tweet that someone sent to you about the Rays? 
Oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, I gotta, I gotta pull this up. Uh, basically, I wrote about the Rays uh, for Fox a couple weeks ago, and obviously, mostly talking about their offense and how the offense, which has come down a little bit, it's now closer to to Texas uh, as you know the best, arguably the best in in baseball. But um, I got a, a response from clearly a Braves fan who was basically like, "Hey, like, you know, this is nonsense." Uh, like no one trusts the Rays. They're fake news. They'll be 500 by June was basically what it is. Here's the exact tweet. Cause this is after the, the Orioles played them well. Okay. And so this person again, clearly a Braves fan. That's fine. LOL. They're not, this is on May 11th. LOL. They're not even making the playoffs. Baltimore just manhandled them. Talk to me June 15th. They'll be 500. Amazing people believe this shit. And I basically responded at the time, if you think they're gonna be, they're gonna go seven and twenty-seven to be five hundred <laughs> on June fifteenth, like you're just not watching the Rays. Like I'm sorry, like there's no way you're watching this team and being like, this team could lose, you know, seven of their next or, or win only seven of their next thirty-four games. I think that that's possible. And again, as they move farther <laughs> and farther away from five hundred, I just, I just love it. And and that's why, again, like I, I know you've expressed some skepticism, but. I, I just think they're the best team. Like, I really do. Don't group me in with this person. No, I know, I know. It's, it's very different, very different, differing levels of skepticism. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm really convinced. I would pick them very comfortably to win the division. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just so impressed with, with how that offense has come together. And I think the pitching is only going to continue to improve as, as they get healthier. Baltimore Orioles one word vibe check. Um, ooh. I'm just going to go with <laughs> fantastic. No, not even fantastic. I'm going to go with Cedric. I'm just going to go with Cedric mm. is my, is my one word. <laughs> because Cedric, like, first of all, he's our only Cedric that we have in baseball right now. Right. So that, <laughs> that helps. I like that. He's our, our single singular Cedric. And I think that like, I love what you wrote about the outfield too, because he's really, I mean, yes, Santander and Hayes too. But Mullins breaking out while they sucked and then now re-breaking out while they're awesome, I love it. I love it. I, yes, Adley, I guess, is technically the face of the team now. But Cedric represents more to me, I think, about this Orioles team. 100%. The word I'm going to use is juggernaut, Jordan. <laughs> because yesterday, Kyle Gibson went into the Bronx and threw seven scoreless innings against the big bad Yankees just keeping to stay in one step ahead of their dangerous bats. And after the game, they asked the media asked Kyle Gibson about the Orioles and this recent stretch. They went on where they split with the Rays and they swept the Jays and they won in the Bronx two out of three. And he said, this team is good. We are one of the juggernauts now. And I think that that is super interesting because when you are a team that is improving, you are holding yourself to the standard of the really good teams in baseball. Great example for you and the Astros, Jordan. Like last year, whenever the Mariners played the Astros, it was a litmus test. It was like, oh, yeah. are we as good as this juggernaut? And the yeah. Orioles in this recent stretch, at least in Kyle Gibson's mind, have proved that they are one of the best teams in baseball. And like, I have some skepticism about that. I think that the rotation is still a little shaky. Maybe not if Kyle Gibson keeps throwing seven scoreless against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. Um, but they've been spectacular. And my favorite part about it is like heading into the year, the biggest critique with the Orioles was they did not do enough over the off season, right? That their GM, Michael Elias was like, yo, it's going to be lift off. Like it's go time this winter. Yeah. We traded Trey Mancini away, but now we're in. Right. And all they did was sign Kyle Gibson and Adam Frazier who have been like two of the most <laughs> important players for the Orioles. Adam Frazier has been incredible. Yeah. Kyle Gibson's uh, been amazing. I would say too, like specifically in the context of Kyle Gibson, that quote is so funny because like, I mean, I'm sure when he signed, oh, I believe in this group. I believe in this young team. You know, I believe in the development, all these things, I'm sure. Right. At the same time, like when you, when you sign Kyle Gibson as your premier, you know, frontline guy for one year and 10 million, it doesn't scream 
this is to, you know, be the icing on top of this juggernaut roster. And yet here we go. Now we have Kyle Gibson himself being like, we're a juggernaut. Like, was that what you thought when you signed with them? It's, it doesn't matter. It's great. I love it. It's just, it's, it's funny how, how things have developed in that sense. Well, also when the season started, it was like, here are the Orioles' two big offseason acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin, who they traded from mm-hmm. for from the A's. Cole Irvin is in AAA Norfolk. And Kyle Gibson is saying Cole that the Irvin Baltimore still Orioles still be the best starter on the A's. Prob- I, I mean, yeah, probably. I think Kyle Gibson last year with the Phillies had a seventy-nine ERA plus. He threw one hundred and sixty-seven and two-thirds innings for a five hundred five ERA. He could not sniff a start in October. Okay, he was terrible. He was unusable, and the Orioles were like beep boop boop. Seven scoreless in the Bronx. I mean, he sure. rem- also reminiscent of the the Jordan Lyles performance, which guaranteed the Cal Raleigh uh, walk off. So you know, yeah, Orioles and Yankee Stadium always uh, delivering the goods. Let's move to those Yankees. What's your your one word for the New York Yankees? Hey, I was gonna go with I was gonna go with lopsided in a weird way because I look at this roster. I'm like, oh well, there's Aaron Judge being amazing. Garrett Cole's amazing. Uh, and, and like, oh, wait, we just did this. We just did this. The bottom of the roster is still so bad. Um, the other word you could use is patience, I guess, with the injuries. Both patients, they are patients at whatever local hospital. Yo. But also, please wait because presumably some of these guys will be back soon. Hopefully, Carlos Rodon, did you see Carlos in New York? Is he coming back soon? Question mark. I did see Carlos um, in New York. The other day, he was at the stadium, and I said to him, just quick detour here, I said to him, like, good to see you, man. Like, I'll peel the curtain back a little bit, Jordan. You know, Carlos, over the offseason, talked to us all the time. Like, he was essentially, like, FaceTiming us, like, once a week, just randomly, right? Mm -hmm. And then he signs with the Yankees, and then he gets hurt, and then we don't hear from him for a while. And I was like, should we reach out? Like, what do we do? When you're growing up, there's no, like... Hey, what do you say to your buddy who got $162 million from the Yankees and then hurt his back and the whole city's mad at him? Like, there's no, there's no playbook <laughs> they there. Did teach you that? That wasn't. No, there's right. no playbook. I had, like, I remember that lesson, but oh. I guess we, we, I should have, I should have clued you in before, before you saw him in New York. That's because we went to different elementary schools. Right. Sure. Um, you know, we would throw some funny things in the group chat and he was just, you know, he had a kid too. Another so one, he was like yeah. a little, another third kid. Um, but it was good to see him and he's in high spirits. I think he's feeling all right. Hope, uh, you know, I, I did, was not like, how's your back? Like, that's just not like, I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Maybe that's my job as a media member to like ask the tough questions, but mm-hmm. it was just good to see my buddy again, you know? Yeah. And I would hope that them transferring his rehab to the, to New York is a good sign. I think hopefully. Uh, but again, he's also not the only one, uh, right? We're still waiting on Stan. It seems like his rehab uh, assignment will not happen quite as soon. He was taking BP before the game the other day and just launching balls. <laughs> like <laughs> lo- like third deck. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, my biggest worry with them is like how good are the guys that are hurt like when they get back? The big one is Donaldson. Because like I just don't know if he's good anymore, and they're really counting on him. Because Oswaldo Cabrera has just been such a nothing burger. Talk about a guy I was wrong about. I thought he yeah. was going to be a stud, and he's yeah. just been mad. So yeah, the thing with the Yankees is like they're definitely a good team. I think they're a playoff team. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the starting pitching enough to say that they're going to win the division. Mm-hmm. I I think this is Aaron Judge now. Like this is what he does. We know yeah. this. Like we're confident about it. The X factor for them, in my opinion, is Harrison Bader, mm-hmm. who since coming back off the IL has looked like a completely different player. He has a different edge about him. He is getting the ball in the air a lot more. He is swinging a lot harder, and he just looks like a better baseball player. Mm-hmm. He looks like very confident. I think he being on the Yankees has focused him in a slightly different way than what he was in St. Louis. And like, I feel pretty good about him getting $100 million. There's a take. Mm. I think mm-hmm. is impending free agency. He'll get over $100 million. I think he'll be an all-star for the Yankees. I'm just very in on him. And I think he is like the, if he can be a 130 OPS plus guy for them all year while playing a really great center field, this team, like that's a guy that they need, especially because I think Donaldson's a pumpkin. 
Yeah, I agree with some percentage of that. I mean, he's at 120 OPS plus right now. I'll take the hard under on even the 120. But I, I, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, there's a lot of upside in terms of how much money he could make. The last thing I'll say about the Yankees, and then we'll do Boston uh, quickly, and then we'll take a break, is like so much of the narrative, obviously coming out of last year, was okay, we have to get better so that we can beat Houston. And that's still true. I still think the Astros should be feared. But now you have other really good teams in the American League, not just in your own division, but it's no longer this like one-track mind of like how can we beat Houston because Tampa's kicking your ass and Baltimore's kicking your ass and Toronto is still capable of kicking your ass and like Texas, it looks really good. Like These are really good teams. It's not just this one team that you have to focus on now the way that you've kind of been constructing in your head you you missed your chance right for a little stretch there it really was just houston that you kind of had to worry about that's not the case anymore and that's really what concerns me in terms of super big goals for the yankees fans that are still optimistic about an actual world series run this year it's not impossible i do think they're a good team but that that would be my my bigger concern uh you know looking forward jordan i heard a rumor that the red Sox are also in this division can you confirm <laughs> yeah, it is weird how, and maybe it's just us. It's not like people aren't thinking about the Red Sox, but they have become the team I have given the least focus to uh, in recent years. I would say certainly the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, and that was, dude, it was even true in 21. I wasn't thinking about them at all until we showed up at the wild card game and I was like, well, shit, here they are beating the Yankees in the wild card game. <laughs> so, little sneak preview for you. I'm working on an article for Fox for a couple of weeks from now about the state of the rivalry, Yankees-Red Sox. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Nestor Cortez about it yesterday. And he was like, yeah, you know, like the rival." I'm paraphrasing here, so don't turn this into like a clip. Like, it'll be out in a couple oh, of are you Are you hitting with the don't aggregate? Oh, my god! Don't gosh, aggregate I'm me. so proud. We've made it. We've made don't it. Aggregate me. Saying, don't aggregate me. Oh, man, this is good. I mean, people will aggregate us anyway. That happens all the time. Shout out MLB memes on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Nestor Cortez aggregating and stealing. Go ahead. That's true. Cortez said something along the lines of, you know, the rivalry has lost its spice in recent years because they just haven't been the same, which is like a, definitely like a little spicy. It's right. I mean, it's weird because like it's true. And also they eliminated you for the postseason two years ago. <laughs> right. Right. But it's like, even when they did that, there was like a lack of relevance involved. You know what I mean? It, it is. He's both wrong and on point about the state of the Red Sox under Chaim Bloom. Right. Um, this team is so bizarre. Jaron Duran and Alex Verdugo have fallen back to earth a little bit over the last couple of weeks, as has Yoshida. I mean, he was the best player in the world for a stretch. Mm -hmm. um, Chris Sale looks back enough. Now, the big issue that I want to talk about here is Corey Kluber, who they signed and they started on opening day, was moved to the bullpen yesterday. Congratulations to uh, Corey Kluber. He is the only Cy Young reliever in baseball right now, I believe. Is that true? That's an interesting one that we can fact check, but that does feel, it certainly feels that way. Probably the only two-time uh, Cy Young <laughs> <laughs> reliever at the very least. Yeah, I, I was fascinated by the sign to begin with. Like Corey Kluber in Tampa basically decided, okay, well, my stuff's gone. The one thing I can control is I can throw a shit ton of strikes. I can throw it over and not at least give guys free passes and trust my defense. The problem is that now he's just getting rocked. He's just getting shelled. So at some point, your stuff is bad enough to where you probably should go out of the zone more often than you are. And that is is where he's at now. I think that's the AL East. Uh, I yeah. guess one word vibe check for the Red Sox would be present. Like Mine they're be, here. <laughs> they exist. Mine would be volatile. Because sometimes if you catch him on the right night, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Look, at that. I mean, even James Paxton, who, who just came back, like you catch him in the right inning, you're like, holy shit, there he is. That's James Paxton. I miss that dude. He's pretty fun. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will talk about the Padres, do the good, the bad, the ugly, and look ahead to the weekend. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is finally here. And we're bringing you all the content you could ever want to prepare you for the most exciting day in motor racing. 
Seriously, who would be better to get you ready for the race than a guy who won it as a rookie, me, and another guy who raced against Ray Haroon in the very first Indy 500 in 1911? Okay, okay, I'm not quite that old. Anyway, listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Let's talk about our daddy issues. The San Diego Padres, they have not righted the ship. A heroic last gasp win last at yesterday afternoon on Thursday. Holy shiitake mushrooms. Rugnet Odor, one swing of the bat, two outs, bottom nine, three-run blast to beat the Nationals. The Padres were up 5-0 to nil in this game. Tim Hill uh, coughed it up late. The Padres battled back to take the victory. This is a team that came into the season with Everest Cabrera-sized expectations, and so far they have done nothing but underwhelmed. They are 23 and 27. They are four and six in their last 10. They have a minus five run differential, which is just like a great way to think about the Padres. Jordan, like we talk about this team all the time. Where are you at right now, May 26th, 10, 12 a.m.? We talked uh, comparing them who have the same record as the as the Phillies. Again, similar arcs, both in the NLCS, both have their superstars returning. And I feel better about the Padres than the Phillies. I really do. I do think that there's still enough upside here. I don't really know how long we're expecting Manny Machado to be out. But like, they, I, I just, especially with the way Soto's been swinging it too. Like, and the, it's the pitching's been pretty decent like they've had some some success on that side that that could have been worse I just think there's way more upside with this team whereas I'm just looking at some of the issues with the Phillies and I'm like that's probably not getting fixed this from AJ Casavell the fantastic MLB.com writer in their last 11 games the Padres have gotten just three hits with men in scoring position that have played multiple runs Ruggie Odor has all three (laughs) and so and when you look at Odor's numbers you're like this guy still sucks but he has been hitting the ball pretty hard and again, he does has a knack for the dramatic, and uh, he that is, I mean, look, calling anything a season saver in May is stupid, but boy, did it feel that way. I do believe in clutch, in the extremes. I clutch has like in some ways been disproven right through statistics, but I don't care about numbers because I'm not smart enough to understand them. I would say that like ten percent of players are positive clutch. 10% are negative clutch and the rest are just guys doing stuff, right? You and I think like Rugi is in <laughs> I believe Rugi is in the in the 10%. Like David Ortiz more than anybody, I believe like he's in the 10%. Rugi Odor is in that 10% in a different way where it's like he's up, nobody on two outs, he's out. Like I'll bet my life savings and he's going to get out in that scenario. Yoenis was kind of the same way too when he was with the Mets and he was cooking like pointless game, nobody on base like Checked out, he's yes. out. Yeah. Right. Uh, the thing with the Padres, I want to talk about the men in scoring position, like batting average with runners in scoring position. What does that mean? Right. We accept that there is a certain level of variance that comes with that. When you get your hits is so important in baseball, whether it's nobody on two outs or bases loaded, right? That's kind of the whole sport in some ways. Do you think that hitting with runners in scoring position is 100% a skill? Do you think it is 100% luck? Do you think like vibes of the day has anything to do with it? I'm curious for your take. Well, it's weird because when you think about baseball and you think about, I think about it in relation to other sports of like an run production and like offensive cohesion in other sports, everything is, you are literally working together to score it is not, but in baseball, presumably it was one guy hitting at a time. At the same time, what you hear often when players talk about what a team, you know, passing the baton, all those cliches, presumably once the runners are in scoring position, you have already achieved some of that, right? Whereas what you often hear is like guys saying, oh, well, when we're down early, we're all taking individual at bats and we're all trying to hit a home run on our own. We're all trying to hit a five run homer or whatever with the bases empty, which doesn't make any sense. So, but once guys are in scoring position, stuff has already started to snowball in the correct direction in theory, which would make you think that, okay, that is when a team playing and team cohesion would come together because you wouldn't necessarily feel like you need to be swinging for the fences when all you need is a single or, you know, to, to keep 
keep the bases loaded, you know, draw a walk, whatever, keep putting pressure on the pitcher. So I think it's obviously somewhere in between. I mean, the Padres this year have been both terrible and undeniably unlucky because their numbers are worse than any team ever, literally ever, with runners in scoring position. They're hitting 184 with runners in scoring position. That is so far below any team that we have ever seen. But as I pointed out a couple of weeks ago when I wrote about this for Fox, like they have the lowest batting average in the league anyway. So it's not like they're just not getting hits and running to scoring position. They're just not getting hits. So, <laughs> I mean, that that is not it is not a, a necessarily just a situational issue for them. They are a team that is not getting hits right now. I think I would say runners in scoring position is like 60% luck, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, part of it to me, like I'm trying to think about where the focus and energy of a team would have an impact in that s- spot in those situations. And for me, it's like, okay, so you have guys on second and third, one out. You got those runners there. The guy coming up after in that spot, like it's, it is important in, in to pay attention to how and why those players got on base. What pitches were they swinging at? How was the pitcher approaching and attacking them in the moment? What pitches are working for the, that pitcher right now? What pitches aren't? And you're in the on-deck circle and you got to be paying attention to that. I think that I'm not saying I don't think the Padres are doing this, but I think that that is a component when you're struggling with runners in scoring position, mm-hmm. right? Understanding the specific moment of the game with the specific pitcher is vital. I think some of it is trying to do too much. I think like runners on second and third, you're like, oh, I got to do it. I got to do it. You squeeze the bat, you turn it into wood juice, right? You get tense. That is a component as well. But I think that a lot of the Padres' struggles have been luck. And that's why we think they'll write the ship because they cannot be this bad and this unlucky for the entire year. I refuse to believe it. I refuse yeah. to believe it. Some of it, though, is also like, I mean, the imbalance of the lineup. Like this bottom half of the lineup has been so bad with, <clears throat> you know, guys like Nola. Um, guy, I mean, honestly, guys like Cruz to some degree where it's, you know, the guys in the middle are getting on at a reasonable clip. And then it's like, all right, you know, Jose Zocar, you know, do your best. You know, Brandon Dixon, do your best. And it's just, it hasn't been. Those are not the guys you necessarily want up to drive him in. Last thing, and then we'll do good, bad, ugly. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing here, the juxtaposition of maybe the most hyped and anticipated team of the 21st century being the unluckiest team with runners in scoring position maybe ever is so funny, right? Because it's like, oh my God, we got it. We have all these guys. It's going to be incredible. We sold out their introduction event. And then it's like, whoop, nope, uh, Lady Luck, sorry. You <laughs> sorry. can go fuck yourself. <laughs> 605 OPS with runners in scoring position, which is the worst. Just just for reference, again, who else is the worst runners in scoring position? 29th is the Royals. 28th is the Tigers. Okay, yeah. 27th is the Phillies. We just talked about them. 26th is the A's. You might have heard they're pretty bad. Mets, 25th, Marlins, Brewers. So, you know, there are some some bad, some good teams and some bad teams that that struggle with this. The Rangers, 920 OPS with the runners in scoring position. That might explain their ridiculous run differential. Jake, quickly before we do good, bad, ugly, um, I know we, we've we've run uh, Tales from the Yard in recent weeks on Fridays. I did want to give you the opportunity to at least, because I, I had a couple of just quick anecdotes from what I saw at Cardinals Reds that I wanted to share. Uh, but were there anything specific, things that you saw that you wouldn't have necessarily been able to read about uh, somewhere else that you saw at the Yard? If, if not, that's fine. But I just wanted to, there was just a couple of quick moments that I wanted to mention. Um, I talked to Grayson Rodriguez about going to church for a while. Nice. Not for me, for him. He Here's a cool thing you told me. When he was seven years old, his so his grandmother w- is a huge Yankees fan. She has since switched her allegiance based <laughs> upon the life of her grandson. Um, but when they were like six or seven, they rented an RV and drove from Nacogdoches, Texas to Yankee Stadium to see a Yankees game before the stadium was torn down and they built the new one. And he saw... It was so interesting. He said to me, like, I remember Jeter, A-Rod going back to back in the bottom of the first. Again, Jordan, I've talked about this before. The things we think we remember. They did not go back to back. They did both Homer in the bottom of the first. He remembered it as like back to back last year of the stadium. It was actually two Homers in the bottom of the first in 06 and not 08. But just getting to talk to Grayson (laughs) Rodriguez, who very clearly like is a ball fan. Like this guy cares about baseball. Yeah. That was really cool. To do that. I'm trying to think about anything from the Yankees. Jake Bowers. Hmm. 
with the Yankees came up to me in the clubhouse yesterday and said, why do you love doing this so much? Like we were talking about for us, he asked me like, why baseball? Like, why are you so obsessed? Why are you in? And the way that I explained it to him, which I think you'll appreciate Jordan is, so Jake Bowers, you've, all you've been doing your whole life is playing baseball, right? Imagine if that was your life, but you weren't good at, it, at playing it. And that's kind of what me and, and you are, Jordan. Yes. And we are fortunate enough to get to do that, right? I saw Aaron Judge um, play with his dog. Aaron oh, Judge's yeah. wife. A lot of people, but a lot of people saw that. I, I'm sorry. That was yeah. the, that was probably one of the b- bigger layups of a viral clip I've, I've seen in recent baseball memories. So I promise that was not... <laughs> I appreciate you letting us know that you saw it with your own eyes, but a lot of people saw that too. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, yeah, just being around the Orioles is, that's a fun team to kind of watch. Yeah. Be around. Uh, you know, shouts out to the Orioles interpreter, oh. a buddy named Q, who with the national media coming to see the Orioles this week, the focus was on their bullpen. And the two best guys in their bullpen are Felix Batista and Yenny Cano, mm-hmm. who are both Spanish speakers. Okay, mm-hmm. and so my translator buddy Q was exhausted this week. He translated for Cano for forty minutes straight for like seven different reporters, and I was like, we were joking that he needed like a big poppy style home run derby timeout Gatorade towel cool off. He's grinding, grinding. I love that. Um, so I'll save like the specifics. So I, I saw a couple games of Cardinals Reds this week. And I'll save the specific, you know, Cardinals vibe. We'll, we'll check in with that. I mean, the Cardinals are in an interesting spot. I I came away both like I can totally see them turning around, and I'm also like there's still some some issues here. But a couple of those moments that I enjoyed from my two days there were they didn't take BP on the field in either day uh, that I was there, except the first day I was there. The only person that took BP on the field was Nolan Arenado, and I swear he was just only hitting home runs. It was the opposite of like, oh yeah, you know, that big power hitter, you watch his BP, all he does is just, you know, smoke singles into right field. That's just all he does. Not the case. It was like, it almost felt like I was watching him doing home run derby practice because he was the only one in the cage, and it was just homer after homer after homer. Very funny to see. But the other thing that I that I saw, which I enjoyed, was, it's, it's not that uncommon, but it was David Bell's son, I don't know his name, uh, who I believe is like 10, taking grounders with Joey Votto, a rehabbing Joey Votto. Both of them taking grounders at first and like practicing scoops with our our, our main man, Jeff Pickler. And it was, first of all, it made me think of a couple of things. First of all, uh, your take on this, which would you like to share? Uh, go ahead. with Because I, I, as soon as I saw this, I, I thought of you because this is something that I believe we talked about earlier this season at a college baseball tournament. But tell me tell me the take that that I, I'm thinking of of yours. If your father is a major league baseball coach and you do not play college baseball, you have failed. Just, especially for me, like as someone who coaches kids and the biggest issue with coaching kids is the lack of repetition and lack of opportunity, right? And how much playing often helps you. And just to see like a kid be around taking grounders with Joey Votto, like, that's a level of knowledge you can't replicate. And no yeah. wonder all the good players in baseball now, their dads played in the big leagues. Yeah. It's a huge well, deal. It, I was thinking about it, especially with David Bell, who has like 50 family members that also play in the big leagues. And I was like, yeah, this is about as much of a lock as you're going to get. Uh, but it was also funny to me because Joey was like, again, Joey's obviously working on scoops and whatever. And I'll I'll update the whole Joey Votto rehab thing at some other time. But the point is, is it was funny to see like a 10-year-old working on scoops at first. Because when you're 10 and you're the son of a major league manager, like first base is probably not the first option. Like you're probably going to be playing shortstop or pitching or center field. And so there was some funny – and like David Bell's kid is like – it's not like David Bell's kid's huge and it's like, oh, he's going to be a first baseman. Like, no. But it was great watching like a nine-year-old practice like the intricacies of first base defense, which was not – would not be something any 10-year-old is really ever thinking of. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, you, you coach 10-year-olds. I don't know if that's something that you're really ever focusing on, but I thought that was funny. All right, let's go to the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's uh, start us off. What's oh oh what what is this? Uh, something good, something bad, something Dan ugly, something weird, something something very ugly that we saw in the past. We can be good, can be bad, whatever, but um, it needs to be more ugly than good or bad. 
because otherwise it would be in good or bad. Here's my good. This is a headline from Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. The amazing story of Pirates Drew Maggi may indeed be headed for Hollywood. We are back. Drew Maggi, who made the big leagues after 13 years grinding in the minors, is back in the news. Where are they now a month later? Okay. A month later to the day. He debuted a month ago today. And he's back in Altoona playing double-A baseball and has been horrible for the Altoona Kirby. I think he's been just he's abysmal, 34. right? He's 34, and he just turned 34 10 days ago. He, I mean, he wouldn't. He definitely wouldn't be the oldest player in AAA. He might be the oldest player in AA. He Do really you have his numbers be. in front of you? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Can you read them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Drew Mangi, who we should note in his three major league games, hit 333, 333, 500. Beast. Um, 10 years older than the average player in double A is hitting 191, 277, 238 with zero home runs. Not going so great for Maggi, but but good news is he's going to Hollywood. Going to Hollywood. I recommend reading the whole article. I'm just going to read a little bit of it out loud. Quote, there's gonna, sorry, quote, there's gonna be something. Maggi said, people don't even know the half of it too. 13 years, I had a lot of fun. I've told people, if there's a movie, it could be rated R or PG. I feel like there's someone new who contacts me every day. This is now not a quote. Maggi says former player and current MLB Network analyst Harold Reynolds calls him practically every day. (laughs) I'm so not surprised by that. This is great. There are so many stories literally across the baseball landscape that at some point mentioned the fact that Harold got involved. (laughs) Yes. Harold like sees anything cool in baseball. He's like, oh, let me get in there. There was also a conversation with Alex Rodriguez. But Maggi said another out of the blue chat involves the Phoenix, Arizona native getting contacted by Kevin Costner's daughter, Annie, who is involved in movies as an actress, producer, and director. Kevin Costner's daughter calling Drew Maggi to maybe make a movie is like the most duh thing ever. I think my favorite thing, too, is that he hasn't been hitting ninth. <laughs> he's been hitting like sixth, seventh, or eighth, which like I I mean this respectfully. I'm not going to say any names. If you're batting behind Drew Maggi right now, I'm not liking your chances. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, that is incredible. That is definitely good. Uh, my good is much more straightforward. It was something uh, someone tweeted this at us, but I did want to mention him because he had another good game yesterday, and that is Riley Green. Jake Riley Green has been one of the five best hitters in baseball for the last three weeks. And I was, even though the line was roughly average last year, I came away so impressed with him last season. And while the the torque hasn't been awful, there have been moments with torque where it's like, okay, okay, I see. He's hit some home runs where it's like, there it is. And I know the Tigers haven't been that bad. They're in second place. (laughs) They're in second place in the AL Central at 23 and 25. But Riley Green is a certified star. I would bet on him. Ooh, that's going to be close between him and Erod as the all-star. Erod probably has the edge right now, but I could see Riley Green being an all-star this year. He's 22. He's awesome. Good good player. Really good player. Not to be negative, but that's the point of this bit. Uh, let's talk about bad. So something happened in last night's Mariners-Oakland unathletics game that oh was very God. bad. Yes. We talk about this all the time, specifically when it comes to college baseball and more specifically small school division three college baseball. Last night, tie game, bottom eight. Runners on second and third with two outs. Jared Kelnick at the plate. Garrett Acton, I believe, on the mound. And what did Garrett Acton and the A's do? They intentionally walked Jared Kelnick to load the bases in a tie game. And what did Garrett Acton do next? He walked Eugenio Suarez with two outs in the bases loaded to bring in the go-ahead and winning run for the Seattle Mariners. Do not load the bases late in a game if you have a bad reliever because they will just walk the guy and bring in a run. This happens all the time in college, like it's, all it's the time. Insane. It's so like it's so interesting because the the strategy behind it you can, we get it, right? We know, we understand the strategy. Okay, force at every base, whatever. Sometimes you're setting up a double play, whatever, fine, okay? The thing is, is the the, the psychology of it, of 
in some ways, it's like, we are telling this pitcher, we trust you to throw strikes. And by God, the opposite happens every single time. Like, I feel like it is, instead of that, it is the, regardless of how good or bad the pitcher is, it almost seems to always have the opposite effect. I disagree. I think that matters because no offense to Garrett Acton, but he is like the A's are a college team right now. Yeah. And just the inevitable happened here. If it was Kenley Jansen, I'd be like, sure, load the bases. Like he's done it a million times. I'm not worried. We're trusting Garrett Acton to throw strikes in this situation. Get the fuck out of here. No, I know. I'm not saying it's, it's an irrelevant part of it. But again, still the concept of like to do the mound visit, be like, we're going to walk this guy because we trust you to throw strikes. Dude, in from like a vibes, fourth major league game. Like, what are we doing? From a vibes perspective, like, you know, like runner on second two outs, we walk a guy to get to a different power hitter and like he gets a hit. And then the narrative is, oh, well, you disrespected the first guy to get to the second guy. That I don't really believe in. I believe in don't load the bases. Don't do it. You're just going to walk the next guy. It's bad. Jordan, what's your bad? My bad. I almost flagged this for you yesterday when you were at the yard. Everything is going very well for the Baltimore Orioles, right, Jake? Except except for one thing. Yeah, is that Grayson Rodriguez? No. No, no, no. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't just be, hey, oh, his ERA is high. Oh, so and so so. There is one important everyday part of the Orioles who has been borderline historically terrible this month. And that is Jorge Mateo. That is Jorge Mateo. Jorge Mateo, at the end of April, had an 1,000 OPS playing every day. Okay? We were like, holy shit. Look at this guy. Jake, his OPS is now below 700. Think about how bad you have to be <laughs> over just three and a half weeks to do that. And I looked it up, and from what I can tell, he is having literally one of the worst months of all time. Jorge Mateo in May is hitting 106, 155, 121. He is 7 for 66 with 21 strikeouts and one extra base hit. I know he's still playing great defense. I know he still has managed to swipe four bags despite never being on base. But this is a all-time, like we tell oh, that guy's like we tell that guy's pretty streaky. I mean, this is like the most to go from having an 1000 OPS to having a 276 OPS OPS in May is is astounding and impressive. And my question to you is I guess it doesn't matter if they're still winning, but like what if to to me, if he's still playing now, he's going to be the shortstop for the rest of the season and that's not going to change. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, if he does this or something near this for another month, then there's a conversation that needs to be had. But the team is still winning and he's still contributing to them winning because of the other things he does. Right. Defensively right. and on the bases. And right. so people like no one is mad yet about this. Yeah. No one's noticed because they're winning. I mean, I didn't notice. I, I assumed he'd cooled off, but like there's cooling off. And then I mean, this is literally going from, you know, Sahara Desert to a, I, you know, North Pole in literally 30 seconds. I've never seen this is <laughs> just it has to be some sort of record from over a thousand OPS to under seven hundred. So that's pretty bad. What's your ugly? Pretty, pretty bad. Jordan Schusterman. Are you familiar with the name Cole? Turney. Oh, yes, I am. I am. I am. I, I'm excited for the Cole Turney update. I'm sorry that I'm familiar. I'm sure you're excited to tell me about Cole Turney, but I have not checked on Cole Turney in the last probably three weeks. So okay. everyone's listening. No one, no one listening knows who Cole Turney is. So you tell us who Cole Turney is. This is my ugla. Cole Turney is a 24 year old outfielder at Cumberland University in Lebanon, Tennessee. An NAIA school. Mm -hmm. Cole Turney is 24. Cole Turney was drafted by the Cleveland then Indians in the 34th round of the 2017 MLB draft. Cole Turney started at, he was a big deal coming out of high school, like a big prospect. Went to Arkansas, was bad. Went to San Jack, a junior college. Don't have stats on that. Then the pandemic happened. Then he transferred to Houston where I believe he failed a drug test at some point. Then he transferred to NAIA Cumberland in 2022, where he was really good for them, but apparently he was ineligible. And the entire Cumberland season was ruined because they had to forfeit all the games that he played in. But for some reason, he came back this year, Jordan, 
And what did he do this year? He slashed 521, 675, 1286 for a 1961 OPS. He hit 32 home runs. <laughs> 140 at-bats. He walked 53 times. It is the single craziest offensive season in the world this year. Just look at the numbers. It'll blow your eyes out. Now, he plays in a very small park. And he's oh, 24. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's 24. I heard that he is pretty legit and that there were some scouts out to see him. Again, he is 24. I am not sure if he has eligibility left. Like, if you play a full season and then you're deemed ineligible after the fact, did you play a season? Like, his stats are not up. Like, those stats are gone. They don't exist. So, I he might have another year left of eligibility. But if you're deemed ineligible, do you... That's such an interesting paradox. If you were deemed ineligible, do you retain eligibility because you didn't actually play? Hmm. Correct. Um, My... I love this. Yes, 32 homers in 45 games is amazing. <laughs> Cumberland's season did end a couple weeks yeah. ago in a 30 to 18 loss at the hands of Tennessee Wesleyan in which Cole an, Turney uh, went two for four with four walks and did not hit a home run. Wasn't that an extra inning game? Yes. It, oh, my God. Do you have the box <laughs> score in front of you? I just noticed. I no, just noticed. I just, wait. Oh, oh, my God. This is amazing. I didn't realize this. Yes. Uh, Jake, it was actually 18 to 18 <laughs> through 11. <laughs> Tennessee Wesleyan dropping the 12 spot in top 12. Um, I, I, I wonder if that's the only time 12 runs have ever been scored in a 12th inning. <laughs> I love the idea. Like you let up 12 in the top of the 12th and then you come in the dugout like, all right, here we go. Just need a couple. Oh my God. That's great. <sighs> that's great. Cole Turney. See you in indie ball. <laughs> Very ugly. My speaking of indie ball, how about that transition? My ugly this week is also very good, and it is Hinchliffe Stadium. Jake Mintz, what do you know about Hinchliffe Stadium? Hinchliffe Stadium in Newark, New Jersey. Patterson. Is a f- Patterson. Patterson. Sorry, Patterson, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Patterson, New Jersey is the former uh, Negro League stadium that is being renovated. We visited it on the bike trip. What is your update? It is open. They played. That is the new home of the Frontier League's New Jersey Jackals. And they just played a game there earlier this week. And the pictures of this place are mind-blowing. Because when we were there, it was a literal pile of rubble and the construction, I guess, had technically begun when we were there in the summer of 2021, but with literally $100 million invested, some from the city, like this was a real group effort from the city of Patterson um, and from, of course, Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues Museum was involved. Uh, just an unbelievable achievement and one of the coolest renovations of a sports venue I've ever seen. It is one of the more unique venues ever seen. Just for more context, like Larry Doby played his high school sports there at Eastside High School before, of course, joining the Negro Leagues and then eventually becoming the first black player in the American Leagues. This is where, I mean, all kinds of Negro League legends, Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, Buck Leonard, uh, Martin Martin DeHigo played here, Oscar Charleston. Like this is an iconic site, one of the few remaining Negro League stadiums that are still standing. But this was one, again, that it to call to say that it was still standing was was a little bit generous, but the frame was still there. And I don't know if you're looking at the pictures now, but it's it's a remarkable thing. It's it's kind of jarring to see, not just based on what we had seen two years ago, but also just knowing how what the structure is. But it's amazing, and I encourage everyone. There's a good story about on it on the New York Times by Gary Phillips, and there's a lot of good reporting on it. And I, I just encourage everyone to check it out. It's really really cool. All right, Jordan, let's flip ahead to the weekend. Three series that you are thinking about, that you are chewing on, that you are excited to watch. I think this weekend you and I will be watching quite a bit of college baseball and college softball, but I will make sure to find time for a little professional ball as well. My first one is uh, Orioles against, uh, they are hosting the Rangers in the Weird City Connects tonight. Grayson Rodriguez on the mound. These are two of the best teams in the American League, and the Orioles are rolling right now. Can they keep it going at home against the Rangers? 
Uh, Yankees are hosting the Padres here this weekend. That is a very bizarre interleague matchup that makes me think about Chase Headley and the 1998 World Series. Um, and like, yeah, that's just a that's just a really good one. And then I'll take Braves Phillies as my last one because the Braves could really kind of put the Phillies away, at least in terms of the division this weekend. Yeah, and they put it, it seems you can argue it's already happened, but I agree it's not exactly, uh, especially after that crazy game we saw last night, uh, not a, not the best start to the the four-game series for Philly. But yeah, those are definitely two that, that I, I mean, not that I wasn't already rooting for the Orioles, but certainly as a Mariners fan, hoping they can get back into it, uh, Texas L's are what they need right now, uh, but that will be a fascinating challenge. So definitely Padres-Yankees. Dodgers-Rays, I think, is an obvious one. A little bit of weird interleague there. We're going to get Glass now and Kershaw on Saturday. That should be fun. And then Cardinals-Guardians. That's Cardinals-Guardians and Blue Jays-Twins, I'm kind of seeing in similar uh, fashions just because, <laughs> you know, Cardinals and Blue Jays have been struggling and should be way better, and the Twins and Guardians are... God, I mean, <laughs> Central is just such a such a rough spot. But I think that we could see both of those teams feeling a lot better if they can can take care of those series on the road. Uh, also, yeah, Pirates-Mariners, talk about weird interleague. That should be a fun matchup with Pittsburgh up in Seattle. All right, Jake, let's end the podcast. Let's do it. Uh, here's an important note. We will not be podcasting on Monday. I apologize sincerely. We've done a lot to maintain our Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule over the last few weeks with our traveling, but uh, with Memorial Day and with some other scheduling conflicts, we are just going to take Monday off. So we hope you uh, understand that decision. We will be back on Wednesday for sure. But uh, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing as always. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for doing this podcast with me. And uh, it'll be when we talk on Wednesday, it'll be like, oh my God, so much has happened. And that will surely be a delight. So enjoy the baseball, turn on the softball, turn on the college baseball, all kinds of fun stuff this weekend. We hope you guys enjoy. But until next time, uh, have a good weekend. Serious XM Podcasts. <laughs>